Hey yo everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 119 through 121, which will be covering manga chapters 194 to 199, almost at 200. And I've been hotly awaiting to talk about these episodes as they are where Zoro and Luffy get their fights. And when that happens, you know you're about to see some pretty awesome moments. So let's get to the synopsis. With all the other Straw Hats having won their fights with the Baroque Works, only Zoro remains as he takes on the dangerous Blade Man, Mr. One. Back at the palace, Vivi is still trying to stop the fighting, but now needs to find a bomb threatening everybody. But Crocodile won't let that happen as he dangles Vivi off the side of the palace and drops her. But at the last second, Luffy and Pell swoop in to save her. With a new strategy in hand, Luffy prepares to take on Crocodile for round two. All right. For differences, I'm happy to say that these episodes were once again adapted very faithfully and there were really no differences at all. So with that, I'm just going to jump right into the episodes. So we start off with Zoro versus Mr. One.、Uh, let's get one thing out of the way. Zoro is a badass, and this fight pretty much solidifies it. The way he's up against an impossible situation, yet is excited at the fact that this is an opportunity for him to grow and to have that sort of incredible growth mindset that anyone, including myself, would aspire to have is pretty awesome to see. And I always try to live this way, but I often probably respond to these situations more closer to Usopp. But I always try to be like Zoro and often fall short, but it is still an aspiration and that I like to shoot for. Between that aspect and just how freaking awesome everything about this fight, like the banter between Zoro and Mr. One, the one sided tense nature of it, the brutality and the climax of this fight, all make this one of the best fights in the entire series. And I still think. Think it ranks as my favorite Zoro fight in the entire series so far. And we're at what, chapter 10 15 now? So it's, it's early on and Zoro's already peaked. I mean, not to say that the subsequent fights that Zoro has in the series aren't good or anything, but this, I don't know, there's just something about this fight that really stands out as one of the best. I think another thing I noticed about this fight is where you, this is where you really start to see the absurd strength that Zoro has. I mean, up till now, he has been incredibly strong, but the jump is incredible. He's surviving being blown into collapsing buildings, lifting up huge blocks of buildings made of concrete and stone, like almost a thousand times bigger than he is. And Zoro also loses a comically unrealistic amount of. Blood with, with these crazy wounds he sustains. And if I remember, Oda gives us the amount of blood loss he sustains in like every one of his fights up until like a certain point through one of the SBS answers. And it's some ungodly amount that would surpass how much blood is actually physically in a human. <laughs> so that's always really funny. I wish I could find it. I'm sure if I put some,、um, did some research, I could probably find it. But yeah, if you ever get a chance, definitely look that up. Zoro, yeah, pretty much is outmatched this entire fight. Even though you know he's going to come out on top, you really don't know how he's going to do it, which makes for some incredible suspense and tension throughout this entire match. And similarly with Sanji versus Mr. Two, we see Zoro throw out a bunch of his past finisher moves like Origiri or Toragari, as well as a couple new ones like Ushibari, and they're utterly useless against Mr. One's Devil Fruit. It just basically it's like hitting a brick wall. And this fight is largely scored without music, and so you're left to really sit with the brutal nature of this fight. It also reinforces the theme of Zoro listening carefully to the 
to the rhythm of things and the breathing of things. And the climax of this fight is something else though. The way Zoro survives the falling building and has that inner monologue about being able to hear the rhythm of objects around him. And he discovers something, but I love that it's not some new attack. It's more of a spiritual thing. And it's something that's drawn from within. With this new understanding of the world around him and armed with only one sword, he prepares for one last attack. And for the first time we see Zoro use a one sword style attack up until now, he's only used a uh, Nitoryu or two, two sword style and of course his Santoryu. But he actually unleashes a Itoryu or yeah, one sword style attack. The Shish Sonson, which oh my god, this moment is so effing epic. You only see Zoro's sword get unsheathed and then cutting to a silent shot of the area. And when it cuts back to them, we see Zoro resheath his sword standing triumphantly dwarfing Mr. One in the background while he bleeds and falls. I mean, this has got to be one of the most epic things I've ever seen. And the crazy thing is, we don't even really get to see the attack itself. It just sort of happens off screen. But that's the point. The attack is so fast that it happens in an instant. And this moment in the manga is also incredible as the shot of Zoro's stance is outstretched in this massive two-page spread and it looks amazing in the black and white color grade. Not to say that it doesn't look good in the anime, because it does. Like, I love how in the anime you actually get to see Zoro resheathe his sword, and as soon as it clicks in, that's when Mr. One just, like, gurgles, and his blood just, like, spurts out of his chest. And it's, I mean, it's such a cool freaking scene, and such an amazing fight. And just, like, how Zoro just takes one beating after another, like, the slashing, and just the... Especially that part where Mr. One turns his arms into like these like drills and just freaking punches him straight in the gut and just slashing him. I mean, obviously no man should ever survive that, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, this fight, everything about it is just so awesome. And sometimes I like just watching this one episode and going back to it because it's such a cool fight. And it's such a great moment. And I and I also love that this moment also is kind of recontextualized when you take into consideration the future of the series and all the rest of the development that happens with not just Zoro, but just the entire world of One Piece. And, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit in the spoilers. But yeah, such an amazing fight. And thus ending the last of the 1v1 fights between the Straw Hats and the Baroque Works in an epic fashion. I love this finale to like the crew fight or the crew battle. And then in the next episode, we cut back to what's happening at the palace. And Oda, again, builds up so well our hatred for the villains, especially our hatred for Crocodile here, as he dishonorably lets those soldiers from Alabasta die from their own strengthening water without even fighting them. And it's just really despicable. I mean, yeah, Crocodile has a point. Like, he doesn't need to unnecessarily fight, but it's just the way he ends how smugly he is about it and just lets them die. It just makes you want to hate his guts even more. And then we get to see Chaka get his ass kicked by a crocodile too as he unleashes his own type devil fruit, which is actually another Inui no no Mi or dog dog fruit, but this time it's model jackal. Now this is interesting. We now know that there can be multiple types of one fruit, at least with the zone type fruits, and here we get to see one. We now have seen the dog dog fruit model Daxon uh, with Lasso, and now we get to see the jackal with Chaka. And it's kind of interesting to see that there are multiple zone types of the same ones, which makes sense. I mean, you'd want to see multiple types of dogs. 
Um, and, you know, we will see more later on in the, in the future. We now get back to seeing what happened to the Straw Hats after their, all their respective fights. And it's funny be, because it's also really a sweet moment where we get to see the moment they decide who's going with who. And Usopp's just freaking out about being paired with Lashes and pleading with Sanji to come save him. And Zoro remembers this moment as he's worried about the others after finishing his fight and seeing how tough it was. Especially Nami, Nami and Usopp, showing that even Zoro acts all tough and stoic, he still cares just as deeply for his crew as any of the other more emotional members. And even Sanji, who initially rebuffs Usopp's request saying he only helps ladies, Sanji did end up coming to Usopp's aid. And this is a really small moment, but a super important one in terms of the development of the Straw Hat crew. And I personally love this moment, you know. It's not a huge flashy flashback like we see in a lot of other moments but just these little small things that show us that the crew really does care about each other even even the most like stoic of Zoro is a really deeply caring person and and I like seeing that no matter who on the crew they all really really care about each other and it's, it's yeah it's a really sweet moment and I know I'm jumping all over the place but again back at the palace in a surprise twist in the next scene Koza makes his way to the palace to discover what's actually happening in Alabasta and who actually is the one behind everything and to his shock it was all set up by Crocodile. Crocodile then drops a literal bombshell on him as he reveals to Koza that there is a bomb that could blast about five kilometer radius of the battlefield and this is pretty smart actually introducing this. I mean, we already have the ti- the the time limit of the fact that if the fighting goes on too long, then everybody will end up dead because they'll just be killing each other. But now this actually introduces a literal time clock giving us a measure of time as to how long they have before literally everybody dies. And so Koza and Vivi come up with a plan to have the royal army wave white flags and surrender the war to stop the fighting so that they can look for the bomb or at least evacuate everybody. But at the last second, again, one of the Baroque Works moles within both armies fires on Koza to prevent the fighting from stopping. I can't imagine for an anime-only watcher seeing episode 120 end like this and not be desperate to see what happens next. And each episode just seemingly leaves off on on insane cliffhangers like this. And it's pretty crazy. Like, if you were a week-to-week watcher at the time watching this, you'd be like what and yeah it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty crazy like time to be watching one piece in this moment i mean a lot of episodes leave off on pretty crazy cliffhangers but i can't imagine this one was pretty shocking at the moment or at the time but now with this newfound rage at the seemingly underhanded tactic by the royal army of feigning a surrender but then mortally wounding their leader and firing unprovoked on them again it seems like nothing could ever quell the rage of the rebellion and stop the pointless bloodshed and i feel like you know i know it's a story but it's like every time they get so close to stopping the war but then crocodile or one of the baroque works agents just does something and to stop it and you, it's just it's ultimately frustrating and i feel like i mean obviously it was meant to do that like you're supposed to feel vivi's frustration and desperation and Oda does an incredible job of conveying that and making you feel exactly what Vivi's feeling. All right, so now I want to talk about one of my favorite moments in the series. So in episode 121, this has got to be the best moment in in one of the best moments in the series. And it literally caught me off guard. Like, it com- complete surprise to me in one of the most hype moments of the saga and the series thus far. But before I get to... a 
too ahead of myself, let's set the stage for it first. So even though Vivi is standing right there between the sandstorms, the fighting, the explosions, her voice can no longer reach anyone, both literally and figuratively, as everyone's now consumed by blind rage and resentment. Even through all this, Vivi still refuses to give up. I mean, she is just the epitome of strength and and will. I, I can't express how much you love each straw hat up till now because they never give up no matter how impossible it seems and Vivi here exemplifies that the most here. Even when there seems to be nothing left, she still won't give up till the bitter end and just when you think it's over with Crocodile dangling her over the edge of the palace, you're just hoping so hard that she either herself or someone or something comes to save her. And when he lets go, it's chilling. But then Vivi and we're all rewarded with literally one of the best reintroductions in the entire series up till now. It's freaking Luffy and Pell. I'll be honest, when I read this for the first time, I was completely off guard by this because I had kind of forgotten about Luffy. I became so enveloped with everyone else's desperate situation for the last like 20 or so episodes or like three or four volumes and you didn't even know what condition Luffy was in I I forgot that Luffy was still an option so when I saw this moment I literally leapt out of my chair I mean it was such a cool moment and it's so cathartic and emotional you know seeing Luffy return and save Vivi in the nick of time as if that wasn't enough we see the reuniting of all the straw hats breathing new life and hope back into what was seemingly like the most dire and hopeless of situations. You had the armies basically now just blindly fighting each other. Cobra's been captured. Koza's been shot dead. Chaka's down and wounded. All the Straw Hats were spread apart. But seeing them all come back together with Luffy and Pell returning, it just breathes so much hope into the situation. And this is probably one of the greatest things about One Piece and the ability of the Straw Hats as a crew in and out of the world of the series. They just seem to have this innate magic about them that just by their mere presence on screen together give you the the viewer slash reader and the people inside the world of the of the anime or the manga of One Piece. They give them hope. And I personally love this feeling and these moments in the story. And it's one of the reasons why One Piece is so damn fun and addicting to read or watch. Now with Luffy recovered and back, he goes after Crocodile vowing not to lose to him again to everyone. With him jumping up, Crocodile smugly waiting for Luffy to attack again, thinking he won't be able to hit him. But we know this time, something is different. And as Luffy lunges towards Crocodile, he lands a right hook on Crocodile, square in the jaw. And... (laughs) One thing about this punch, which is so disappointing in the anime, is that it doesn't hold any weight or impact to it, and it feels super underwhelming. Whereas in the manga, it's drawn with this incredibly satisfying, well, punch to it. It feels so much more impactful. The way the anime is animated, it feels so lifeless and stilted. There doesn't seem to be any impact or force to this punch conveyed with the animation. It's like they only animated like five frames, and they're just like cutting to them as if you're like looking through a photo album and they're poorly drawn frames too there's like no shading it's all flat uninteresting it's just so damn bad i hate how this punch looked in the anime and and i hate how it didn't get more effort put into it i mean this first landed punch on crocodile is supposed to be so damn satisfying and in the manga it was but it's utterly wasted in the anime and that's one of my biggest complaints about this oh and i just realized i think i said right hook but luffy actually hits him with his left fist so it's i guess it's the left hook 
Anyways, to finish off the episode, we get an explanation of how Luffy is able to land hits on Crocodile, and as we expected, it's the water. And he figured it out thanks to the help of Toto's water from the last matchup. And again, we see that Luffy, when it comes to combat, he is actually really smart and notices everything. And he, he noticed this even as he was about to die. I mean, okay, well, normally people would die from a wound like that. But, you know, he was in immense pain and yet he somehow still figured that out. And I really love Luffy here and why so many people all over the world love Luffy. He teaches us that failure, even one as devastating as the one he experienced at the hands of Crocodile in the first round, is not something to get you down. You just have to learn from your mistakes, pick yourself up, and try again. It's this spirit that will forever stay with me and most people who experience One Piece and Luffy's character. I know I'm not, the, I'm not an anime character nor have superhuman abilities. Nonetheless, this mentality and philosophy to life is just as inspiring and applicable to anyone, including me. I think while it's not unique to Luffy in terms of this trait, I think he exemplifies this better than most because he doesn't overthink it. It's very simple for him. Clearly, there's room for him to grow and he'll keep pushing forward, learning and growing. He's also never too proud or arrogant to accept help or even ask for it. All these qualities are incredibly relatable and aspirational to me, and I think it resonates with many fans too, which is why we all love Luffy and One Piece. Alrighty, so before we finish up here with this episode, I want to talk about the new ending theme. So we get a new ending theme, and I personally really like this. It's Shining Ray, which is a really upbeat pop rock song, basically, performed by Jana Arc. Like most of the endings, the animation that accompanies the song is pretty simple, but I like the detailed drawings of each straw hat member waiting out a rainstorm. It actually looks really great with the watercolor style coloring each one receives. And once the rain stops, it goes back to the normal animation with the crew gathering and running towards the Going Merry. The message of the song is pretty standard for One Piece about pushing past difficult times towards your goal, using the small ray of light in your heart and those around you, which lines up pretty nicely with the literal representation of the ray of sun shining through the dark rain clouds. But this song, I feel like, was intentionally chosen for this portion of the story because this imagery is also a nice allegory to what's happening in the story, you know, of light shining through the darkness with Luffy trying to beat Crocodile, making his evil deeds behind all this shroud of underground, you know, criminal organizations come to light, as well as Vivi trying to get through the dust and the fighting to be the light to save the country. And yeah, I feel like this is a really applicable song, and I like this choice. And which is one I never really skip this ending, you know. Most endings, they, after a little while, they're not as fun to listen to, with you know, with like a few small exceptions. But this one I never skip. I, you know, I always find myself listening all the way to the end. But anyways, in closing, Luffy now has a way to actually combat Crocodile's sand powers, and he lays down the hurt on him. But will that be enough to beat him? I guess we'll have to see in the next few episodes. I mean, seriously though, when I tell you it just gets more and more awesome from here, I mean it. It's honestly incredible how much I still love seeing these episodes, even after having seen these multiple times and multiple rereads. 
as well as multiple viewings, I, I think it, it still holds up incredibly well. They're just so, I don't know, engrossing to watch this final battle in Alabasta and the culmination of the Alabasta saga. But yeah, if you enjoyed this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. You can check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast for updates when I post new episodes. And yeah, I just have a really smaller spoiler section, but if you'd like to stay tuned for that, please do so. But if not, thank you for taking the time to listen, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye. Alrighty, so spoiler section. I think there's only really two things that I briefly want to touch upon. And I think, you know, rewatching the Zoro fight and, you know, listening to him um, have that sort of conversation with his teacher about the listening for the rhythm or the breathing of different objects and different things to be able to cut or not cut things. And then how he's able to sort of use that to cut Mr. One and cut through his blade and through his devil fruit ability. And I think, you know, upon looking at this, and I don't know if, obviously, you know, this could just be a happy coincidence, but this might have been a precursor to hockey, specifically observation and armament hockey. And I think Zoro may have tapped into both of these, you know, the observation hockey being able to use to, to sort of, hear the rhythm and to sense the, the the object or Mr. One and then having used armament hockey to sort of enhance his sword to be able to cut through the steel blades of Mr. One. Now obviously it doesn't we don't get to see the sort of like the the black coating of the sword as we see now in current day one piece with the armament and the Busosho Koka, you know the enhancements that that are afforded through armament hockey but i mean it's it's hard not to see the parallels and to see this as a as maybe not a direct you know equivalent but at least a precursor to both observation and armament hockey and i thought i always thought that was interesting you know having gotten that explanation further down the line and then going back and looking at this scene and and it's hard not to see that it's yeah this probably was some sort of a version of observation and armament hockey and the other thing i wanted to talk about is the sort of the i guess what's now basically like a one-piece trope is the the hope moment (laughs) i don't know what else you would call that but i feel like in almost every single large-scale arc in one piece has this sort of moment where everything seems to be down and then luffy or the straw hats show up and it just instantly increases morale and hope and you really see this um right now where we are in the wano arc you know up to chapter 1015 and very recently with the whole raid on onigashima you know you see you see moments where actually multiple times where they feel like they're they've lost the fight and and they the people who are fighting get demoralized and then all of a sudden the straw hats show up or luffy says or does something and it just instantly turns everybody's morale around and this shows up multiple times whether it be whole cake island with dress rosa punk hazard like everywhere and and i mean you don't get such a large-scale moment in in skypea with nl but i mean between Nami and, and Usopp and all of, all of them and uh, Aisa, whenever they see Luffy show up on the Maxim, 
yeah, it's that same moment where it's just like, what are we going to do? And then Luffy shows up and it's like, yay. <laughs> and, you know, to be honest, like I make it sound like like I'm being sort of sarcastic and condescending about those moments, but I don't really I don't really mind it. In fact, I love it. I look forward to those moments because I, by now I can sense them coming because anytime Oda does this sort of moment where things just keep going wrong, everything just starts to go wrong. And you know something has to happen. And you're just like on the edge of your seat waiting to see who or what is going to turn the tide. And it's usually one of the Straw Hat members, if not Luffy himself. And it's, yeah, it's awesome, you know. I I like to also think about that moment where they're in the big square in Fishman Island, you know, where they're all surrounded by like 50,000 fishmen and Hody and all of his crew is bearing down on everybody. And then, and then um, what's his face? Just th- uh, Megalo. He throws up Luffy, <laughs> and he shows up. And yeah, that's another moment where it's just like yes. <laughs> and I think that's one of the more comical ones, seeing that. But yeah, I, I you live for these moments in One Piece. You know, Marine Ford is another huge example where that happens like multiple times. Whether it be when Luffy and all of them show up or when Whitebeard and Shanks, you know, or I mean that that whole that whole arc is just full of those moments. I mean with Marco and yeah. So that basically that, that entire fight is that moment just cascading on one another. But I think One Piece does it better than most because it seems very natural. You know, it's not like these random power-ups that come about in other animes. Don't get me wrong. I love those animes like Naruto Dragon Ball, Bleach, all of those are really cool. But I feel like there's some aspect of it where it just gets tiring because it just seems random. Like these power-ups that come out of nowhere or these transformations that show up, just it just doesn't feel the same. And, and, the, and the same like positivity doesn't seem to also be there too. Like One Piece, these hope moments, I feel like actually do give you hope. And it's not just some sort of a hype moment, but it actually makes you feel happy. Like there's like some joy attached to it rather than just like ooh cool type of moment i mean not to denigrate of the other series again i love all those other series and, and i grew up watching and reading them as well but one piece just does it better in my opinion like it just does it better because it has that sort of extra extra sauce of that like sort of joy and hope attached to it but anyways enough of me rambling um yeah so that's pretty much all i really wanted to talk about in the spoiler section but uh yeah thanks for listening and i'll see you next episode bye